Your father's far from being a well man, Miss Carrington. Yes, I know. Seeing you for the first time may be something of a shock to him. I think I understand, Doctor. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Any occasion for you to be separated from him again? Hey, you all right down there? Kindly describe your business niche and the current trends, if possible, and how it started up with the idea for healthware. I don't know if you, you saw the story, but it, it basically started with a pillowcase, right? Where I suffered from bad skin and learned about the link between your bad skin and your pillowcase. Went to the dermatologist and was recommended to wash my pillowcase two to three times a week. Which at the time as a college age male was not gonna happen. And so it got me thinking about how do you get a benefit from a garment or fabric, something that contacts your skin all day, every day. And that's really the foundation for the technology. And it's this simplified behavior, right? You don't have to use a cream or take a pill. You can just get dressed in the morning. Any analogs, antilogs regarding your competition? Where are you positioned uh, in, in, the, in, your, in your specific niche? And uh, why you? Our core IP and what we do better and different than anyone else is we can actually deliver a controlled dose of a medicine through clothing. Nobody else can do that. So we can tell you exactly how many milligrams are delivered every hour as you're wearing a garment. And again, it has to be that same equivalency to a topical pain cream or a moisturizer or a melatonin. And ultimately for us, what we're solving for is patient compliance, right? We're all busy forget to take pills or use creams, but we all get dressed in the morning and clothing contacts our skin all day, every day. So that's the foundation for the healthware category that we've pioneered. And so we're really in a very unique category all by ourselves. What was the process of developing uh, a new product category? It t took many years. Um, so it's been almost a, a decade now. Really, when I started just got on the internet and was researching patents and different scientists and eventually found a, a drug delivery expert that was able to team up with and had some ideas for how to create this compound. I actually started on the West Coast here in the U.S. in Seattle and then moved out to the East Coast in North Carolina where most U.S. textiles are made. And so it was very much part of being in this ecosystem where you had the supply chain, you had the know-how, you had the manufacturing to actually enable success here. So we, we got it down at the beginning where we were able to deliver ingredients through a garment, but then we actually weren't able to knit at high speeds, put into garments, make it feel comfortable. And that's where we actually had to transition uh, to the East Coast where you had all that expertise from these high speed knitters and sewing machines. Regarding those 10 years, uh, can you can you say something to startups that want uh, money and fame potentially overnight? Yeah, I mean, you really got to have the passion for it. Most entrepreneurs, I think, work way more hours than they do uh, than they would in a normal job. But it doesn't feel like work because I, I love what I do. You have to 
I think I really believe you have to solve something that has a personal meaning to you. Because at that point, right, I was solving my own problem. And that's ultimately what allowed me to keep going. And it, it really didn't seem like 10 years. I mean, it, it seems like it, it's happened in the blink of an eye. And it, everything looks very different as you get to that next inflection point, that next inflection point. I, I use the analogy of swimming to that next buoy, right? It might be 10 feet in front of you, but once you get there, the world looks very different, right? Maybe you have a little more money in the bank, maybe you have a couple key hires, a couple of key advisors that open some new doors over here or that get you into a retail store over here. And then it, it, it's really impossible to predict how one little change can have a ripple effect down the road. Absolutely. Uh, you said, I love what I do. Is there any influence on uh, on your community building? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a big part of what we do is designed to help people, right? We sit at the intersection of traditional healthcare and textiles. And so I think this really comes through even from a retail perspective of sitting down with the buyer at, at Walmart and in two minutes, he goes, I get it. There's this huge correlation between people buying braces and pain creams. Why not just put the two things together? And I think that really speaks to consumers, whether it's a number of our folks that unfortunately suffer from chronic pain or arthritis, taking multiple pain pills a day, worried about liver or digestive system issues. Right? Why do they have to take another pill? Why can't they just get dressed? And those are the people that we really try to help where traditional creams or pills fall short whether it's pain or acne or eczema, psoriasis, athlete's foot, sleep, right? You, you name it. All of these things where you're required to rub a cream on your body multiple times a day or take a pill. And, and patient compliance is one of the biggest costs. It's a $100 billion a year issue, both to consumers, retailers, and insurance companies. Any copycats? I mean, how, how did you patent your idea? Yeah, so we have a number of issued patents. RIP is on the ability to deliver a dose of an ingredient. So vitamin supplement medication through a yarn. Yarn is the precursor that goes into any garment. So substrate independent, could be cotton, nylon, polyester, you name it. Um, today, we're very much sort of in a, in a unique space. And I, and I think that's because of all the work we've had to do on the supply chain side. So I, I use the analogy of a bottle of aspirin, right? If that bottle is supposed to have 100 pills and it shows up with 97, you got a big problem, right? But in traditional textiles, if you get a little too much white or black yarn in a garment, not a huge deal, right? That textile supply chain is actually not set up to make drug delivery products. And so we've really had to rethink that supply chain beginning to end from a regulatory standpoint. All of our products are registered with the FDA of the drug facts label on the back. We fall under the monograph for topical analgesia. And so we've, it's taken a very long time to actually reset that supply chain to ensure consistent quality dose all the way through. So we actually manufacturing in clean rooms, um, which is very different from a lot of traditional textile supply chains. And at, at the end of the day, right, someone like a big apparel company doesn't really want to make drug products, right? And a, and a pharmaceutical company doesn't really want to make t-shirts. And so that's really that niche intersection where, where we sit and have that expertise. So new, newcomers have uh, some specific blockades. They, they cannot just run into the market yeah i think there's a, a lot of barriers entry, both from an ip and trade secret component 
but also just from a market size, right? And a market standpoint, our team is half PhD MIT drug delivery scientists and half textile veterans that have been in the industry for 40 years. And really here in the US, that pretty much exists primarily in North Carolina. And that intersection is, is where we've been able to play and evolve. And it's not quite so simple as just, hey, I'm a new one or two person startup to be able to enter that arena just because of the logistics of actually scaled textiles and scaled pharmaceuticals, right? From a pharmaceutical perspective, you have to deliver consistent controlled dose. You have to withstand wash cycles. You have to have that regulatory side. You have to manufacture in clean rooms. And then you think about marrying that with textiles, right? It has to wick away moisture. It has to be comfortable. It has to stretch. You have to be able to produce it at very high speeds in order to sell a product in the market at a, at a reasonable price point. And that combining of those two things together has taken a lot of time and a lot of very specific skill sets and expertise. What kind of new technology are you using for your logistics and manufacturing? Yeah, so at the end of the day, making a product, in our opinion, is making a product, whether it's a healthware device or whether it's a sock or whether it's a little smartphone. And so we've actually brought people from the industry um, very specifically not from textiles, right, or not from pharmaceuticals, but just are the best at what they do. And they've been able to implement across our supply chain those same processes that you would find in any major large corporation. Um, so we use a lot of back-end analysis, software, data tools to be able to process things very efficiently and effectively. And then we use state-of-the-art 3PL for all of our shipping and logistics. And the other thing that we do is all of our products are made within an hour of each other. So we're not worried about shipping products overseas or vice versa, waiting on a ship to arrive. This consolidation of supply chain has been very helpful for us in streamlining logistics. So I think for us, it's it's very important to build out uh, both a good, strong infrastructure and also to have the key employees that really supplement my lack of knowledge. Right, my background is true entrepreneurship. I'm not a drug delivery scientist. I'm not a textile expert. And so I really use this analogy, right? And I've heard it of getting the right people in the right seats on the bus. And that's been critical for us. And then that from there has actually built out all the scaled infrastructure that these people have encountered in their prior careers. They said, oh, I did this at Google, right? I did this uh, at SpaceX, I did this here. This is what works best. And so we have very specialized experts in each of their respective arenas. And that intersection of having someone comes from coming from a pharmaceutical company, coming from a strong university, coming from a big textile company, and that intersection of all of those really good ideas and melting pot is what makes us successful. Yes, right, here are the things that I'm good at, but here are the things I'm not good at. And I think recognizing that, understanding those gaps and weaknesses allows an entrepreneur or a leader to then fill them and be aware of them. Uh, I'm trying to be very cognizant of any blind spots that I might uh, have because ultimately that's what's going to trip up the company. And that's where uh, a competitor might step in or we might misstep. So I've really spent a lot of time trying to fill those and understand where our shortcomings are and then address those either with, with people or new technology.
sales or lemonade stands, right? I, I just have the passion for building. And, and for me, this is something that I was trying to solve a personal problem, right? I suffered from bad skin. How do I solve that? It, it also touches my, my personal world where my, my grandpa, unfortunately, suffered from Alzheimer's for a number of years. And um, unfortunately, he could never remember to take his medication. But interestingly, he still put on a sock every morning, right? And so it, it really starts with that with that passion and that heart. And then from there, I'm able to bring on and see who are the right people that are needed. Um, but I, I very clearly understand that my role is it's vision. It's setting the strategic direction of the company. It's making sure the company has the right amount of capital, but it's not being in the, the weeds of day-to-day technical or problem solving from a, a chemistry perspective. You're both entrepreneur and CEO. Yeah. And I think there's a very distinct uh, role and responsibilities as founder, entrepreneur, and CEO. And it's changed over time, right? When you start, it's just you or it's just you and a couple people and you have to do everything, right? You're the head sales guy. You're the head fundraiser. You're also the guy who takes out the trash, right? Because there's, there's no one else there to do it. And as our company has grown, as we've added people, I've had to be very cognizant of how to shift my role, right? When we have a new sales guy, right? I don't need to be doing sales every day. Right. When we have a new technical person, I don't need to be doing that every day. And so I've really had to continue to up level my role. But it's been hard. Right. Delegating is not something that's necessarily easy for me. And so I've had to be very cognizant of where are the ways and where can I spend my time the most effectively? And so I realized there's no one else on the team that's going to be able to fundraise like I am or tell the story or drive the vision. And that's where I realized, all right, this is where I need to be spending my time leading this company. But it, it, it very much changes and it's very much a, a constant evolution as people come in the team and the company grows. And what about from 2011, yes? Yeah. Uh, till now, what was your not only business but personal transformation as well on the level of emotional maturity, on the level of some specific skills, communication skills, uh, teamwork? Yeah, I think it's it's been all of the above, right? I started this company 10 years ago in college when I didn't know what I was doing. Um, had never managed people, had never had another job. And so it's, it's been a constant learning and I've partially learned by making mistakes. So I think it's, I've tried to surround myself with, with good people that have been there and done that. No reason to reinvent the wheel if someone else has already done it. Uh, the other really good thing I've done for myself is I got a business coach, uh, which I can't recommend strongly enough because... There's just certain things that you can't say to your team or conversations you can't have with your employees. And having that unbiased person that's just there to listen and give advice has been incredibly helpful. And oftentimes it's, there's, there's things in my head, but I don't recognize them. And having someone verbalize that has, has been really helpful for me to learn and evolve and grow as a leader. It's definitely been uh, a, a long road. And I think no, one, no one's perfect. I'm, I'm far from it. Um, but I think what good entrepreneurs do is they learn from their mistakes. And so, all right, I made this mistake in 2011, probably shouldn't do it again, right? And here, here's, here's the new path or here's how we can con- continue to grow the business. Um, especially for me as a leader, right? I, as I mentioned, had never managed people before. So uh, that, that comes with pros and cons. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm getting much better at it. Um, but that, there's negatives, right? firing people, one of, one of the hardest things you have to do, letting people go. But I've, I've, I've realized, and it's taken me a long time to realize, is that actually in, in most 
scenarios, both sides are actually better off, right? When, when you let someone go, oftentimes they're like, wow, that person got a much better job. That's a better fit for them. And the company is actually uh, in a much better position. So one of the things I've learned is that oftentimes when you know, you know, and agonizing over that decision for six months doesn't help either side. And it, it really is in the best interest of, of both companies. And it's, it's taken me a while to, to actually realize that and put it into practice. By the way, regarding the growth, uh, was it too fast growth, too slow growth? Was it an organic growth? Yeah, the, the growth has been crazy. I mean, we spent five to seven years developing the technology, didn't really sell a single product. And then pretty much overnight, we, we took off. Uh, we got into Walmart nationwide. We launched uh, at CVS. Big client. Yeah. <laughs> At, that was really our first retail client. Um, and then shortly thereafter, Target, CVS, Walgreens, Academy, all these other retailers jumped on board, turned into the fastest growing product in the category. Um, for us, we're in the top 50 of the Inc. 5000 here in the US and it, it's turned into a rocket ship. But someone said to me, wow, you're an overnight success 10 years in the making. And I'm like, yeah, that, that, that seems about right. I mean, it takes 10 years, no one sees any of that work, right? It's, it's all of the, that seed that's growing underground, it's growing, 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 and then one day it, it sprouts up, but, but no one ever sees that work. And sometimes it's, it's easy to be disenchanted or, or lose focus, but one day all that work will be worth it. People ask a lot about what my daily mindset is and what my daily routine. I really don't have a very concrete routine. I mean, you listen to all these podcasts and books, like I wake up at 4am, I chug a bunch of raw eggs, and then I get to the gym for three hours. Like that, that is absolutely not me. Um, I am very much a positive, optimistic person. I think that's just my personality trait. That's what's allowed me to, to keep going on this business journey. Because I think, oh, tomorrow, right, I'm going to uh, get this big deal or I'm going to close this this transaction. Monday morning is my favorite time of the week because I love to, to wake up and check emails and see what's going on in the office. I, I just very much enjoy who I get to work with, the people on the team and, and the mission of helping people and creating this healthware new category. What, are, what else is important to me, right? It's exercise. I think it's critical. Um, you got to take care of yourself. I can't remember who shared it, but right, the body is a temple. And if, if that temple collapses, right, you won't be able to do any good work. Um, so there is a little bit of like, I work really hard, but at some point, if I don't take care of my body, my mind doesn't help the company, right? And I'm actually in a negative state of mind. And so I, I noticed that, especially with sleep, if I don't get enough sleep, my attitude becomes more negative and I'm actually not what the business needs. So part of it is, is realizing you got to take care of yourself because at the end of the day, that's what the business needs most. And so that, that means different things to different people, right? Whether it's exercise, I think is important or whether it's spending time with the family or taking vacations or working remote. I think everyone knows for the most part what works best for them. So it really is not a, a one-size-fits-all model. And, and for me, that doesn't even happen on a given week, right? Each of my weeks is very different from the last. Some days I'm up early, 
some days I'm not, some days I'm at the gym five times a week, but it, it's really, I just try to listen to my body and, and what I need most. Um, and I'm a big believer in, in learning, right? Like there's so much good content out here. This is a great podcast. Um, there's so many new books out there. So I, I have two hours of uh, travel time every day and I always listen to an audiobook. I think you, you really got to just carve out time to learn and evolve and, and expand your mind. One of the other things I've tried to do is just block in critical thinking time into my calendar. I mean, spend an hour, just turn off your phone, turn off your computer and just go walk in the park, right? Or go sit outside. And oftentimes that's when I get the best insights in it. At first felt completely like wasted time. But a after doing it for a while, I've, I've really started to appreciate that there's just so many things percolating in, in my head or in other people's heads and just go outside with a notebook and just write down whatever comes to mind. And, and that's really where I've been able to clear my head and get some some really strong key insights. And and that's truly what's led to a lot of our, our success, too, and some of our best campaigns from a business perspective is, hey, sitting outside, I'm like, why don't we try this? Right. Or, or why don't we try this? And oh, there was that guy from Target that I was supposed to email three years ago. And then, okay, I remembered and I re-emailed him and suddenly now we're in Target. It's examples like that where you just, you can't underestimate how the power of one action can have this ripple effect downstream. I mean, I, I, I oftentimes find myself thinking back of, wow, if I hadn't sent that extra LinkedIn message or that extra email, company might not be where it is today, right? We might not have hired that person. We might not be in, in this retail store. It's, it's the ripple effect is, is, is so strong and it's just impossible to predict where it'll go. You all right down there? <laughs> Next time you get dressed in the morning, think about what health benefit your clothing is providing you or not. We all take medicine. We all have health issues at one time or another and we all get dressed. Right. Why not use clothing as that platform for delivery of, of active ingredients? One of the biggest challenges today in modern medicine is patient compliance. We're all busy, forget to take pills or creams as directed, hard to change consumer behavior, but we all get dressed in the morning. Clothing contacts our skin all day, every day. And that's the foundation for, for healthcare. And I want people to think about that whenever they go into the store, whenever they buy a new garment, right? Why doesn't it have medicine in it? That's the story of new fabrics. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik.